Tete koto te pano, o Auckland Unitarian. Tete koto na manu heri. No mai, hire mai ki te hui a te ra ne. Hire me ki te kopapa o te ra. Ko Clay Nelson, Toku in Guam. No reira. Tera koto, tera koto, tera tato katoa. Welcome, welcome all, church fano and visitors and our virtual congregation to this place of worship made sacred by Auckland Unitarians for 122 years. Welcome to those joining us remotely and to those here in the building and to those watching the recording at a later time. For those here in person, you are all invited to join us for a kappa immediately following the service. It is our sacrament of hospitality. And I welcome you to the danger of this moment. May you find in this community the comfort and the challenge, the love and the energy you need. You are welcome as you are. You find us as we are. This morning is the fourth, and you're probably happy that it's the last. In a series of musings about what it means to be a living tradition, how have we changed? Who decides what it means to be a UU today? And who owns the congregation? My opening words are by Viola Abbott. We are brought here today by the fact that Unitarian Universalism has fallen short of the image that was presented to the world and to many of those who embrace this religion. But we also brought here today, but we are also brought here today by the truth of truth that Unitarian Universalism has shifted course to move towards a place of wholeness, a place that perhaps never existed for us as a denomination. It has been a long and sometimes unforgiving road to today. We, but we are here today because we are mindful of that past and because we have hope for the future. We want the practice of this faith to be a fulfilling manifestation of its promise. Open your hearts. Seek the new ways of understanding. Come, let us worship together. May this flame light our journey towards redemption. We have lived a year filled with lamentation, with the strength of generations, the failures of the everyday and the deep down gritty messiness 
that is the promise of our salvation. There is inherent goodness that exists between and amongst us. I want to honor the weary, ragged miracle that is our living tradition. I now invite you to join me in reciting the covenant of our congregation. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is a sacrament, and service is a prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve humankind in fellowship, to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony. Thus do we covenant with each other and with our God. My reading from this morning is an excerpt, and I forgot to write down the name of who wrote it. Reengaging with our theological legacy and its use today with both will both ground our efforts to welcome all who are drawn to our faith and provide resources for resilience for Unitarian Universalists in these difficult times. The idea that you can believe anything you want and be a Unitarian Universalist is not valid. We have a theological container within which one can hold a wide variety of beliefs about God, about how to practice one's faith, and how to live, and about how to live. Because we live at the intersection of multiple traditions, defining this container is essential because much of, because much of the preserved theological work is from white theologians and scholars. We also need to re-engage that work through contemporary lenses. This morning, I have an introduction, and then you're going to do all the work, okay? Um, I've entitled it, my, my music, The Thrill of Participatory Theology. Are you excited? <laughs> Feel the tingle going up your spine? When the eight members from diverse backgrounds were appointed to review Article 2 bylaws, the first thing they did was consult UU stakeholders. These include, amongst others, congregational leaders, both lay and professional, professional associations, philosophical and theological groups, for example, UU humanists, UU Christians, etc. Those who were advocates for eighth, an eighth principle and support of the first principle. 
past General Assembly attendees, former UUs who have left the faith, unchurched UUs who still identify as UUs but don't belong to UU, members of the 2010 Commission on Appraisal, UUA staff, UU seminaries, UU issues groups like UU Earth Justice Ministry, UUs for Justice in the Middle East. This is the beginning of participatory theology. Its purpose is to determine and articulate our shared values and theology. In a UU World article, Dan Hotchkiss says it begins with answering the question, who owns your congregation? Hotchkiss says some congregations believe it's the trustees or board. Sometimes when I ask, he says, what is the board's job, someone, often a lawyer or banker, uses an obscure word that means, speaks rather deeply to the nature of the board's role. The board is a fiduciary. Many people connect this word exclusively with money, but the concept is actually much broader. A fiduciary is anyone whose duty is to act in faithfulness to the interests of another, even at cost or peril to themselves. A parent, for example, is a fiduciary for their children and must care for them, no matter how much sacrifice that might require. A congregation's board is a fiduciary, like a for-profit board, it controls property on behalf of its real owner. But who is the owner? Who owns the church? Often board members answer this question too quickly. The members are the owners, and the owner's interests, satisfactory worship, education, social action, and so on. A congregation does not exist to serve its owner, but the members of a nonprofit corporation do, do not own it as stockholders own a business. Corporate stockholders can vote to liquidate the corporation's property, pay its debts, and divide the proceeds amongst themselves. A congregation or any other nonprofit that did likewise would probably end up in jail, violating several laws. The most fundamental legal principle of a nonprofit cor corporation is to use their resources exclusively for the specific purposes for which the law has chartered. Them. Who then is the owner of a congregation? Who plays the role of stockholders in a business? Not the members, not the board, not the clergy. 
All these are fiduciaries whose duty is to serve the owner. The owner that the board must serve is the congregation's mission. The owner is the congregation's mission. The covenant the congregation has set its heart to and the peace of the divine spirit that belongs to it. Or to put it differently, the congregation's job is to find the mission it belongs to the actual owner for whose benefit the leaders hold and deploy resources. Okay, that's your intro. I don't know how many of you did your homework or heard the first three musings. I hope you all did. I'm going to ask you to get in groups of, I think about four. and I'm going to give you discussion questions, which you can later summarize for me. Okay, what is the mission of this congregation to which we have a fiduciary responsibility? Should it change? When you finish with the first, move on to the second, and then the third. My closing words are by Paul Razor. Liberation theology speaks to the underside of history and offers perspectives on issues such as poverty and oppression that we might otherwise miss. This is especially important as we respond to social problems. To be in solidarity with those who are oppressed requires empathy and imagination.